This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The recent firing of more than 100 on-air talents at ESPN highlighted the fact that the network was looking to promote personalities rather than people of substance that report on sports. Many of those self-promoters might qualify as not necessarily being self-aware enough, and that may be the case with a majority of people. According to the new book Insight by organizational psychologist Tasha Urich, only 10 to 15% of the population is self-aware. They don't realize enough that when problems consistently occur around them, that they might actually be part of the problem. And that is what Tasha set out to help us understand in her book. Tasha, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So a, a big part of this is is really how we come across to the other people in our lives, whether they be coworkers or friends, family, whatever. So I've spent the last three years digging in from a research perspective to the topic of self-awareness. And what we found is that it's really made up of two types of knowledge. One is what people normally think of, which is that, that introspective awareness, seeing ourselves clearly, knowing what we value, what we aspire to do. But equally importantly, and, and frequently neglected, is the idea that we should also know how other people see us. And what I've found is there, there are quite a few people who possess one of those two types of knowledge, but not the other. And that's really where it gets in their way. And what we've learned through our research is that people that have both types of self-knowledge and balance them um, are the ones who are the most successful at work and in life. And this is as you, looking at both elements of that, it, then obviously from the reverse side, this is a problem in both the work workplace and in your personal life for many people. It is. that My research has shown that 95% of people think they're self-aware, but as you mentioned, the real number is closer to 10 to 15%. So what I always joke is on a good day, 80% of us are lying to ourselves about whether we're lying to ourselves. <laughs> and so it, it can be problematic. And a lot of times the people who have the most room to improve are the least likely to know. And, and so, as you say, uh, this is making our society even more delusional than ever, correct? I think so. There, there are many societal forces that are converging on us, almost whether we, we want them to or not. Social media, the self-esteem movement, as well as just our natural human tendencies to see ourselves through rose-colored glasses. Well, it is interesting that there there is this want and need by some people just to to really understand, want to know what other people think about them. And for many of those people, it's it's almost a bit of an obsession for for them. It is. There are some people with those two types of self awareness who are so focused on how other people see them, that they're actually not acting in their own best interest. They don't even know what they want out of life, for example. And that's just another reason that, that we have to balance both of those types of self-awareness. So definitely there are people on, on both sides of that spectrum. Tasha Yurich is our guest. She is the uh, author of the book Insight, Why We're Not As Self-Aware As We Think and How Seeing Ourselves Clearly Helps Us Succeed at Work and in Life. Uh, and Look, there, there's really no difference in terms of the importance of, of work over life, one over the other in this point. It, it does you, – you're trying to make yourself a more well-rounded person in both of those categories. We are. And the benefits of self-awareness, just as you said, don't extend just to work. It, they, it helps us make smarter decisions. It helps us form better relationships. Um, it helps us be more successful in our careers. 
interestingly for your audience, people who are self-aware are much better leaders, and they right. also lead more profitable companies. So, so those benefits just reinforce in both our work and our personal lives. And you talked with some CEOs uh, and people in the C-suite for various companies. Alan Mulally of Ford was one of the people that, that you talked to. And, and, and talk to us about him and what he recognized. So Alan Mulally was just wonderful to, to work with. And he, he's very passionate about the topic of self-awareness. And maybe the best way I can explain what an impact it's had in his life was Flashback to 25-year-old first-time manager, Alan, who had his very first employee abruptly quit because he was, you know, in some ways just a a terrible manager. Mm -hmm. And that served as a wake-up call to him about how important it was to know himself, to know how he's seen. And lo and behold, you know, um, starting in the mid-2000s, he took Ford as their CEO from $17 billion of losses. Five years later, uh, $20 billion of profit. That's that's an interesting viewpoint because uh, with this with the way CEOs are perceived, there there is more of a want of the CEO, at least in some cases, to really be connected with as many people in the organization as you can. It's not just sitting up in the suite anymore. It is really getting da- getting down and getting your hands dirty at times. Well said, and Alan Mulally would would if he was here, he would agree. He talks about self awareness, team awareness and organizational awareness. And so it's sort of each of those three systems. And to have awareness of what's happening in the organization, you have to be out there. He, he was famous for eating lunch in the employee cafeteria, for responding to you know almost every email he got from employees. And so you, you sort of have to look at it as part of the greater system if you want to get the greatest benefits. So it can be a kind of a, a top-down uh, philosophy that, that a lot of companies really have to use, and, and the employees have to buy into it. Absolutely. The, the team or the organization's level of self-awareness in some ways is completely dependent on the leader. You can't have a self-aware organization if the most visible and influential leader is, um, for lack of a better word, delusional, right? So, so it has to start there, but it also doesn't end there. There's a lot of work that leaders have to do to instill that culture just beyond their own behavior. What was the greatest thing that that Alan got out of it? I mean, obviously, when when he's leading a company, I mean, you have he's looking at the bottom line and and how successful uh, you know their auto sales are and and the manufacturing element. And obviously, it's a global company. But what was the best thing he got personally out of it? Well, his, his vision was. Definitely, it involved uh, you know money and the financial returns and shareholders, but it was so much greater. It was to be a true um, service to the customers and a um, you know good corporate citizen to to the, their communities that they worked in. And so for him, it was a broader goal, and that's what I think it's a great example of somebody who knows what drives them and what they value. And if you look past or if you, you know, include the financial aspect but have a greater purpose to what you're doing, it's infectious to other people. You also talked with uh, Ed Catmull of uh, Disney Pixar as well, and I wanted to get your, your thoughts on – I mean, Disney as itself is you know, considered to be a, a very – hard uh, running, but obviously giving back to the communities very well. Pixar may be, you know, slightly different since it's a different piece to the entertainment industry, but still the, the, the bottom line is goal. Uh, the bottom goal is the, is the same, correct? It is. And what's interesting is that when Disney acquired Pixar, 
um, and Ed Catmull had had joint responsibility to lead Disney Animation and Pixar, he started to institute a lot of the the um, positive, beneficial cultural elements they saw at Pixar over at Disney, and they started to see the same benefits. There's one example I give in the book about how in all the years that Pixar has been in business, they have never had a single leak to the press. And that's such a great example of what happens when a leader um, has that organizational awareness but, but has a dialogue. And in addition to hearing things from their employees, they trust them with the truth. And in doing so, um, they have really created a powerful culture where people keep the information they need to keep to themselves, right? Is, is some of that connection that, that he has with his employees at Pixar, is that is it more done on a one-to-one basis? I'm sure it's may, maybe a little bit of a mix of this, but one-to-one compared to, you know, sitting down in, in an auditorium and, and just talking with a lot of the employees? It's all of the above. Right. Um, he, he is so committed to having that time there's a, an example in the book that he actually talks about in his book, Creativity, Inc., where they closed Pixar down for an entire day to have what they called Notes Day. And it was an opportunity for people to help solve problems, to convey, convey information that might not be known by senior management. So it, he thinks big, um, but he op- also operates on a one-on-one level. It's, it's not uncommon for him to be in the lunchroom um, sitting with some folks and just having lunch and chatting. What I f- found interesting is that in terms of self-awareness, you talk about that, that people can actually improve their self-awareness. Oh, they can. You know, e- even though many of us have more work to do than we think, I see this as a, as a positive message for that very reason. There are a lot of myths surrounding what it takes to become more self-aware. And that's largely why I'm so passionate about this is to help people bust those myths, to spend their time wisely. But the the benefits we can get are, are just unbelievably powerful, both at work and at home. The biggest myths being being what? There, well, there are so many and there's so much yeah. to it. But one example that I found shocking was um, the act of analyzing or reflecting on ourselves does not always produce insight about ourselves. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in, you know, this deep psychological excavation of our innermost workings and motives that it actually confuses us. It takes us away from the greater issues and it it negatively impacts our mood and our well-being. So one way to, to combat that, and again, there's a lot to this, but generally is to look, instead of going deep, going wide, looking at the themes and patterns between the events in your life. You know, if you're trying to figure out your ideal work environment. Think about your last three or four jobs and what what you liked about them, what you didn't. And in doing so, you're not sort of doing that deep Freudian uh, excavation, but you're looking for those patterns. That can be so much more informative. Tasha Yurish is the uh, author of the book Insight, Why We're Not uh, As Self-Aware As We Think and How Seeing Ourselves Clearly Helps Us Succeed at Work and in Life. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to the phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment via Twitter, and we'll bring it up on the show at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Thinking about the the business element of this for a second, when you're when you're in uh, an office setting, there are a lot of times where people don't feel like they can be forthright and honest with their manager, with their boss, and, and that's and that is part of the 
uh, you know, kind of the problem that, that develops with helping people be more self-aware, correct? It's true. And, you know, one of the things that I tell people is other people's self-awareness journey is not yours to own. So if, if one of your listeners is, is hearing this and they're saying, gosh, my boss is so unself-aware, I don't even know what to do, um, particularly if they're in a position of power, a lot of times it can do more harm than good if you decide to take that on. But, it, but if we flip the coin and you are the leader that we're talking about, there's a lot of things that you can do to instill a culture of truth-telling. Um, there's a lot of ways you can get feedback in a confidential way. Many people are familiar with the, the 360 process where it's kind of a numeric anonymous survey where you get the results. But what I've found is there have to be certain building blocks in place before leaders say, okay, well, why don't you just tell me the truth about how you see me? Because not only will people feel uncomfortable doing that, um, they might just sugarcoat everything and you won't hear anything that will be helpful or um, valid or accurate. Well, the the other piece to this, and, and when you think about uh, really just the, the core business operation of a company like Disney Pixar or like Ford, uh, having this understanding about oneself and, and being able to discuss these types of things in the corporate culture and not having any kind of uh, of angst in doing that, that that makes for a better overall operation, and to a degree, it probably does end up helping the bottom lines of the companies uh, as they go through the course of time. When Alan Mulally was telling me about Ford's turnaround and his journey, he told me that the moment, the single moment that was the most important part of that process was the moment that his executive team started being comfortable telling him the truth. And it was, you know, in that case, it was the truth about what was going on in the business. Um, Mulally had a a weekly meeting that he called the business process review or the BPR, where his team would come in and give him, you know, reports on all these metrics. And they were losing $17 billion and everyone came in with green metrics week after week after week. And obviously that is going to eventually sink the company. And so he was able to instill that culture of truth telling. It wasn't easy. It wasn't overnight. But when they got there... That's when the turnaround begun. But you also talk about uh, the fact that people that actually are self-aware, they probably do things a little bit differently than than the norm. And obviously that, in the case of Alan Mulally, ends up being the case. Uh, It it changes people. It changes what information people will give, how they approach them, and and how they work day to day. It's true. One surprising characteristic of self-aware leaders is humility. And, you know, you think about, well, how would that help you be more self-aware? One of the ways to be, one of the ways to to build trust with your team is to be vulnerable and not give the impression that you're perfect um, and to engage them with with, um, questions that, that prey on their expertise and kind of leverage that. So, so there's a lot of traits, but I think that is one that I really saw in Alan Mulally that helped him um, instill that culture of self-awareness. Which is, it's interesting because I, th- I think a lot of people, when they think about business and, and, and how they run, they wouldn't necessarily associate that with being a, a key, com- uh, key component, but obviously as you just lay out, it, it absolutely is. And that's the thing about self-awareness. You know, the reason I wrote this book was I felt like there was so much talk about self-awareness. It's almost become a a national pastime to point out usually the lack of self-awareness and all the people we see, our politicians, our leaders, and so on. Um, But there's so much complexity to it. And there's so many things, again, that we think improve self-awareness that don't. 
And that's where I think a lot of people would do well to, to delve into this and to question some of their assumptions that they even have about what it takes to become more self-aware. Tasha Yurich uh, is an organizational psychologist. Uh, she has authored the book Insight, Why We're Not as Self-Aware as We Think and How Seeing Ourselves Clearly Helps Us Succeed. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We mentioned Alan Mulally and uh, Ed Catmull uh, who are some of the other examples of CEOs and, and executives that have really figured this out? There were quite a few examples from the startup community. Um, there's, there's one leader I'm thinking in particular. His name is Levi King. He leads a company called Nav. Um, and I think it's his eighth successful startup. <laughs> and he has a journey very similar to Alan Mulally's, where he started off with a pretty rude awakening about what his leadership style really was to other people. Yeah. Um, but one interesting that he's, thing that he's done that he talks about is just because you get feedback about something as a leader that you're doing something um, suboptimally or poorly doesn't always mean that you have to or you can or you should change it. So one thing he talks about is how he learns, you know, his journey was to learn that he's just not a great communicator. Right. And he read so many books about brain science and communication and concluded that no matter what he did, he wasn't going to be able to make a dramatic improvement. So what he did instead was to be honest about it, to tell his employees what his intentions really were, to be more open that he knew and he, you know, he really was trying his best. And I think that's such a great example of, of why it's never as simple as it seems. Sometimes we get feedback, and the knee-jerk reaction is to try to change our personality, but that's not the only option we have. Are more organizations in general aware of some of these elements as being uh, important to the culture, but also important to the success of the business? I, I'm, I'm a little conflicted on that. What I see in a lot of companies are platitudes about self-awareness. And what I mean right. by that is people just parroting, oh, self-awareness is so important. And then you go into their organization and you talk to their team and they say, oh, my gosh, I can't tell the truth to anyone or I'll be fired. And so it's, it's just a, um, a lack of consistency between what is said about the importance of self-awareness and what is actually seen and done. And that's where it, it just goes back to that individual level statistic. Most people think they're self-aware. So they can brag about how important it is, but what they're what they're missing is how much work they usually have to do in that area. What what is the most common thing? I mean, with with so many people that say that they are self aware, what is the the most common theme when they are that when they find out that realistically they're not as self aware as they really think? So in my job as an executive coach to the Fortune 500 world. I am often hired to tell very senior, very powerful people the truth when, to be honest, everyone else is afraid to or right. they don't want to. Right. And I've seen every reaction in the book. I've seen silence. People have you know, literally run away from the conference room I've been in with them. I've seen crying. I've seen anger. But the important thing about this and, and what I've learned from studying highly self-aware people is we have to see that as part of the journey. It's, it's, a, it's a moment that is scary but that ultimately is giving us an immense amount of power, even if it doesn't feel that way at the moment. So if I go back and talk to the, those people that I saw you know, crying or running away or whatever the reaction was, now they say, that was the most important thing I've ever learned about myself. And so part hmm. of it is trusting the process 
and being brave and being courageous and knowing that there's insight and success on the other side. Tasha Urich, the book is uh, Insight, Why We're Not as Self-Aware as We Think and How Seeing Ourselves Clearly Helps Us Succeed. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Does this, I mean, I guess it doesn't realistically change whether you're talking about a CEO of a company or a mid-level manager, correct? Here's something that's very interesting that I found surprising. The research on this shows that the more powerful you are, the more senior you are, and even the older you are as a manager, the less self-aware you're likely to be, which I found shocking. But then you start to think about it and you say, well, people who are in senior leadership roles are more removed from the day-to-day. They have more visible roles. You look at someone like Oscar Munoz of United, um, where where one single misstep can can spell disaster. Um, And and they, frankly, have people that are less likely to tell them the truth. And so even though it's true that at every level of an organization there's a lot of work to do, it seems as though, um, from the research, that the higher up you get, the more of an issue it, it might be. You might very well put John Stumpf, uh, who was the CEO of Wells Fargo up until a few months ago, might, might put him in that category right. as well. Oh, there's so many examples in the current headlines. And I think what's interesting is what's behind all of those things is usually a lack of self-awareness or, or at least a significant room to improve. But does it also allow those individuals to be able to come back when there are major corporate issues. And obviously for John Stumpf, I mean, he's not with that company anymore. But when you think about something like uh, the, the, you know, the ignition switch recall, I mean, Mary Barra really kind of guided uh, GM out of all of that trouble. I mean, you know, she wasn't the one that, that put them in that, but she really guided them out of a lot of that issue. And I have been, I've had my eyes on Mary Barra since she was appointed as someone who appears to be remarkably self-aware, extremely humble, very plugged in, very willing to put her ego aside. And that's another trait of of highly self-aware people. Part of that also, though, for her might be the fact that she came up through the organization. I mean, she went through that college that GM has and she worked on the line and and she understands what it's like. I mean, there's probably a little bit difference with, with somebody like her as compared to somebody who, you know, came into a company as a CEO from another company and just goes right up into that upper echelon. I think that's a really good point because one critical component of self-awareness is perspective taking, uh, to take other people's perspective, to know what things are like for them. And you're right, if you if you just come into a company and you're plopped at the top, it's going to be much more difficult for you to even have that information, let alone successfully adopt other people's perspectives. Great book. Thank you, Tasha. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks very much much. for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Insight is the book, Why We Are Not as Self-Aware as We Think and How Seeing Ourselves Clearly Helps Us Succeed. Great book. Tasha Yurich. It is available in bookstores and online right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 